Welcome everyone to evening worship. Our call to worship this evening is from Psalm 84 verses 1 through 4. This is God's word. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul long, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Would you please pray with me? Lord, we are in your house this evening to sing your praise. And we are here because you have called us here to worship you. So would you bless this time of worship? And would you encourage us and strengthen us and challenge us? And God, show us something new, perhaps, from your word, a new perspective on the gospel, something that would move us and change us for this week and for even tonight. So God, would you do these things, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would stand for our first hymn, our first hymn is hymn 13, which is, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let's sing hymn 13. may be seated. In this next portion of our service, we have our corporate confession of sin. And I was listening to a pastor uh, on YouTube this past week who made the comment that it is actually quite rare to see people confess their sins or to have people confess their sins in our day and age. For the majority of our culture, to confess your sin is to admit that something is wrong about you, you've done something wrong, and that is actually quite rare outside of some of the circles that most of us are in. And it was, in, in some way, to me, um, an encouragement. And also, uh, it, it made me look forward to this time where we get to have an opportunity to do this 
which we might take for granted. Um, but it is something special, something unique, and something that God has brought us here to do together. So in your bulletin, you'll see the corporate confession of sin. And this is a prayer we'll say out loud together, and then we'll go into a time of silent confession of sin and a time for you to pray about whatever is on your heart. So would you read with me? Awesome and compassionate God, you have loved us with unfailing, self-giving mercy, but we have not loved you. You constantly call us, but we do not listen. You ask us to love, but we walk away neighbors in need, wrapped in our own concerns. We condone evil, prejudice, warfare, and greed. God of grace, as you come to us in mercy, we repent in spirit and in truth, admit our sin, and gratefully receive your forgiveness through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. Let's pray. God, you are a gracious God. You're gracious to forgive our sins. We know Sundays are to be a day of rest for your people, and oftentimes Sundays are the days we see our sin the greatest, uh, the clearest, the way we treat our family, the way we treat our neighbors and friends. Uh, We are those who should be the quickest to admit that we are sinful people, that we are We have many faults, and yet we know a great and loving and merciful God, and that is why we can rest. So God, would you encourage us as we walk in this truth that you forgive our sins. Hear the assurance of pardon from Micah 7. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Amen. As we walk in this grace and this forgiveness, we'll sing our next hymn and worship together while we take up our evening offering, which is, uh, or sorry, the hymn, which is 108. So let's sing while we take up our evening offering.
If you would turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, that is where we'll be reading from for our evening message. Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 32. This is a sermon, uh, a message, a passage about serving other people, and my wife decided, or she knew that I was preaching on this passage, and so she said, I'm going to leave you for five days with the two oldest girls so that you can serve me and the girls. Uh, So it's like a living sermon application. And I'm doing a I'm doing an okay job. Um, Anyways, if you read through the Gospel of Mark, you will come across this theme about serving other people, the last being first. It comes up so often that you might actually get tired of Jesus telling you to be last and to serve other people. There's a reason for that. It's because we don't want to serve other people. We want to be served um, by others and even by God. So let's go into this passage, see uh, what God tells us about service, and I'll pray after I read. This is Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called to them, called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray briefly. Lord, open your word to us this evening. Show us the gospel of Jesus Christ. Show us the good news. Encourage us and challenge us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to look at three points that will get considerably quicker as we go through them. The first is that 
to drop my pen. <clears throat> the first point is that we want to be served. We're going to look at the second point, which is that he served to free us. And then our, my third point is that he served us to free us to serve others. So let's look at how we want to be served. Ever since Adam and Eve were in the garden, they were tempted by the serpent, of course, as Pastor Heath has been preaching through Genesis. They were tempted to do what? They were tempted to serve themselves rather than God. And ever since then, that's what people have been doing, serving themselves rather than God. And after Jesus predicts his suffering and death and resurrection, his disciples James and John come, come and ask him a question. They say, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. The disciples, James and John, want this glory and power that comes from being next to Jesus in his glory so that they can be served, so that they can have that authority, that glory themselves. Perhaps they're tired of serving others. Let me give you an illustration of a, let me give you a story. Um, today, when you become famous, what typically happens? You, you typically get a platform. Uh, you typically get a little bit wealthier. And people look to you. You become sort of a, an authority, Right? You get that glory, you get that authority, you get that power. And maybe you've heard the story of Chris Lunsford. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Chris Lunsford. You've probably, or maybe have heard about Oliver Anthony. Uh, he's a country singer. His real name is actually Chris Lunsford, which I found out uh, from Heath, actually. Oliver Anthony, as he goes by, is a country singer who has risen to the highest heights of fame over the past few weeks for uh, going viral, as they say, with a country song called Rich Men North of Richmond. Rich Men North of Richmond. And his lyrics have resonated with millions of people. His voice is pretty incredible. And uh, his video of him playing this song has had 20 million views in less than 10 days, and um, it seems like a lot. And the story so far is that uh, Oliver Anthony has turned down several $8 million offers from record labels to produce and sell his music. And he said this in an interview about that. He said, people in the music industry give me blank stares when I brush off $8 million offers. I don't want six tour buses, 15 tractor trailers, and a jet. I don't want to play stadium shows. I don't want to be in the spotlight. These songs have connected with millions of people on such a deep level because they're being sung by someone feeling the words in the very moment they were being sung. No editing, no agent, no bull. Just some idiot and his guitar. The style of music that we should have never gotten away with from in the first place. And to that, many people say, hear, hear. Um, the lyrics of his song highlights the suffering of sort of the common person. 
who doesn't have a lot of money, who gets taken advantage of by those in power. And it's popular because it resonates with so many people today. And it's Chris's desire not to be rich, not to have fame, not to be glorified, that is actually attracting more people to him. He doesn't want to just talk the talk. He actually walks the walk, at least so far. He doesn't want to be served, you could say. He doesn't want to become like the rich men north of Richmond who lord their power over everyone else. Surely this man is someone that we can trust, right? Someone who is willing to give up this earthly glory and authority and power for the greater good of art and music. And so much of Chris Lunsford's story is attractive so far because it points us, of course, to Jesus' heart. And it's also so rare to see someone turn down glory and power and authority like he has. Jesus' glory leads to great fame, as we see in the Gospel of Mark over and over again. Great crowds come to see him, and rather than use that fame to be served, he uses it to serve. He keeps on serving. And James and John, at the moment, are following Jesus and serving Jesus for the glory that they think is coming in the future. Because Jesus is going to Jerusalem, and when he gets to Jerusalem, James and John likely think that he's going to be king, right? He's going to be the actual king of Jerusalem, of Israel, and that if he becomes king, they get that power and glory and authority along with him. And everyone will answer to them. So James and John are serving Jesus just to get something for themselves. They probably want to be served. They want their enemies to serve them. And so Jesus asks, will you go through this that I'm about to go through? Will you drink this cup? Will you undergo this baptism that I'm about to go through? And of course they say yes, but they have no idea what they're actually agreeing to. They just want that power, authority, platform. And amazingly enough, Jesus says, yes, you will drink this cup. You will undergo this baptism in suffering, but you won't be at my right hand and my left hand. And if you remember that line, we'll get to that at the end. Jesus is looking ahead. He knows that his followers, his disciples, that he's going to send out, they are going to go through some of the most horrific suffering known to man. That's humanly possible. But at the moment, they're just in it for the glory, for the power, for the authority. And Jesus says, as he hears them asking for this, he gives them sort of a corrective. He teaches them. He says, the leaders of their age use their authority and power to lord it over others. But it must not be so among you. So Jesus has come to do this thing that has not been seen before. He comes with authority and power and glory. But rather than have people serve him, he serves others. He uses his power to serve. He uses his power and authority to serve. 
We want the glory that comes from people. We want to be served. We want to be served in our marriages, in our friendships, in our relationships, at our jobs, with our tax returns. In so many different ways, we want to be served. But what we don't realize is that the glory we seek from the world blinds us to Jesus. When we want to be served, we want that glory that comes from the world, that authority and power, but it actually blinds us. We read in John chapter 5, Jesus says to the Pharisees, How can you believe when you receive glory from another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? And so for James and John, they are coming to realize that the gospel is good news not because... It's a reversal of who is serving who or who has the glory. The gospel is not the rich men north of Richmond becoming our personal servants. The gospel is the rich king coming down from his throne to become our servant, to serve us. So we want to be served Jesus served to free us, which is our second point we'll look at now. He served to free us. If you look at verse 43, it says, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be the first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Every orthodox pastor and theologian will tell you that at the cross, we see the glory of God in its purest form. It is the apex of God's glory, Jesus at the cross. The Son of Man gives his life as a ransom for many. And ransom is an interesting term. You all might know about ransomware. Ransomware. Uh, You click on something on the Internet. Someone sends you an email or a text message and you press it, a hacker can actually get full control of your computer and ransom and, and tell you, they'll lock you out of your computer and they'll say, unless you pay me however much money, you will not get your computer or your documents back. And in fact, if you have sensitive information, they might even say, we'll, we'll send that information out onto the internet unless you pay me. And sadly, if this happens to you, it's very common that you can't actually get around this, that you actually do have to pay this random hacker who could be somewhere across the world the money to get your computer and your documents back. It's a ransom of your documents and computer. And so Jesus becomes a ransom. He gives his life as a ransom for many. He gives his life to make us free to liberate us to unchain us and this is why paul says far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our lord jesus christ by which the world has been crucified to me and i to the world in jesus paul is saying he has been freed from the world worldly glory that striving after glory from the flesh from the devil, so that they can no longer condemn him. 
They no longer control him. They have been crucified. And so he glories and he boasts in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so we see that the Son of Man came to serve a people, you and I, who were dead and enslaved to sin. He drank the cup. He was baptized in suffering to free us from sin, from our need to be served rather than to serve so that we would finally be free to serve God and others. So he comes, he serves to free us, and then he frees us to serve him, which is the final point. Verse 43 again says, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. So what does it mean to actually serve others in Christ? Uh, I know what it doesn't look like, and this is supposed to be funny, and I hope it is. But I saw this Facebook post a few days ago from a pastor who was looking to match a male member of his church up with a godly Christian woman. But he was posting this question to a group of actual um, of elders and pastors. He was saying, do, do you know anyone that might be interested in dating this man? It's a, it was a very weird post, and a post that doesn't typically get made in this group. I, I've never seen it before. And so, of course, I had to read it. Um, and in this, uh, he said the young man is 30 years old. He's a doctor. And then he gives the criteria that this young man is looking for. And he said, quote, He desires a wife that is willing to have many children, stay home, homeschool, etc. And I laughed and I thought, uh, you know, is this man looking for a wife or is he looking for a servant? Like, is he looking for uh, someone he can serve or is he looking for someone that can get him everything that he wants, that he thinks, the good life looks like. And, of course, these qualities are not wrong. And God bless uh, the women who find uh, joy in these responsibilities. But sadly, because of sin, husbands, as we know, will lord their authority over their wives and their children and their families. And Genesis 2 says, wives will also have a contrary spirit towards their husbands. And that's not a good combination, right? A leader who is lording their authority over others and then the person they're supposed to be leading who actually hates them. So is it any surprise that God tells men to give up their lives for their wives as Christ gave up his life for the church, to serve them before themselves, especially when their desires are contrary to their own? Is it any wonder that Jesus talks about being last and serving others so often in the Gospel of Mark because, as I said earlier, we don't want to serve. We are sinful people looking for our own glory to be served. So where are you looking to be served rather than to serve? Where and who ought you to be serving but aren't? 
I know just being at home with my two girls without Elizabeth, there are so many ways that Elizabeth was serving me that I didn't even see and notice now that I'm actually having to do all these things. Service often becomes obligation rather than love when we're not actually motivated by the grace of God. Service often becomes obligation rather than love when we're not motivated by the grace of God. We become motivated by the consequences of not serving. And so many of us, Christians in particular, are just following through with our obligations. We're serving not for the love of Christ and his church and others, but just so we can get through the day and not have consequences. All of us in one way or another are serving ourselves. And Christians ought to see their sin and their self-service the most clearly, to be the ones who are most frequent at confessing their self-service, their self-love, better than anyone on earth. So the question early on was, who gets to be at Jesus' right and left hand? As we'll see at the end of Mark, the people on his right and his left are two thieves being crucified on crosses with him. Two thieves who are receiving the just punishment for their sin, but one of them comes to understand that Jesus is there serving them on the cross. This thief had nothing to prove to God. He had nothing to boast about. He was literally receiving the punishment for his sins. He knew this. The other thief and those who are watching the crucifixion wants Jesus to serve him. He wants Jesus to come down from the cross. The crowd will say, if you are the king of the Jews, come down from the cross and show us your great power. He wants him to prove his power to everyone there by freeing himself from captivity. Free yourself, they say. But the other thief realized that Jesus wasn't there to free himself. He was there to free him, to rescue him from eternal separation from his loving God. And now that man who says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, when you come into glory, just as the disciples did early in our passage, he is with Christ now, experiencing the glory of Christ in ways that he could have never imagined. So we see over and over again in the Gospel of Mark and in this teaching here in this passage that Jesus served you to free you in order that you would see his glory as you serve him and others. So I'll end with the question, which thief are you of the two hanging on crosses? Are you the one who is saying, 
Serve me, God. Show me that you are really God. Or are you the other one who's saying, Save me, Lord Jesus. I am a sinner who serves himself, and I need grace, forgiveness, and help. Let's pray. God, there are many ways in which we look for uh, our own benefit in things, in, in ways that we might not even notice. So God, as you lead us by your Spirit, would you show us those places, those motivations in which we wish to be served rather than serve? God, would you lead us to a place where we are the first one to confess that we were looking for our own glory, that we were looking for our own comfort rather than the needs of others, rather than to love others as you have loved us. So God, help us. Show us your grace and your mercy and lead us with your example in serving others, especially those who hate us as they hated you and still do. Go before us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our last hymn is hymn 302, and I would invite you to stand as we close our service with hymn 302. As you leave this place to serve, go with God's blessing from Hebrews. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, 
by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.